If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 226 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Tony Paley. Tony is the Chief Revenue Officer for AIM International, the Association for Intelligent Information Management, and he's also a featured speaker at our upcoming Learning Technology Design virtual conference, where he'll be talking about how to get more visitors to click the buy button. Now, as you might gather from that little bit of background information, this is an episode very much focused on marketing. So before we head into the interview, we'd like to highlight a free resource we've created to support your marketing efforts. And that resource is the Market Insight Matrix. The Market Insight Matrix is a tool, a worksheet of sorts, that can help your organization manage a rigorous yet practical market assessment process through three stages and three types of activities to help you identify learning products that will address market needs. If you want to dramatically reduce the amount of guessing that goes into figuring out which products to create, you'll definitely want to check the matrix out. You can find a link to it in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 226. Now, Jeff, I know Tony describes himself as a bona fide marketing nerd, and he always has great insights and practical tips for how to market more effectively. What ground do you and he cover in this episode? Well, as you mentioned, Tony will be speaking at Learning Technology Design about how to convert more website visitors into buyers of your education and training. And while this episode is definitely not a substitute for attending that session, we do get into some very useful detail around how AIM International was able to increase the conversion rates for its training catalog pretty dramatically. Any learning business that has maybe seen sales of some of its offerings decline in recent years will definitely not want to miss this. And then we also dig a little bit into what a chief revenue officer is and closely related to that into the evolving role of the sales function in learning businesses. And I suspect many listeners only have a marketing function and not a sales function in their learning business. So there's definitely some valuable food for thought here. And then we get into a number of other topics. And and really, Tony, he's just always uh, an enjoyable guy to talk to. So I think listeners are really going to like this one. Well, you're doing a good job of selling this episode, Jeff. But before we actually turn to the interview, what reflection questions will listeners find in the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 226? I'm going to pose just one this time. And it's really as much a homework assignment as it is a reflection question. And that's that Tony discusses some of the ways in which the design of some of the catalog pages on AIM's website were really interfering with the prospective learner's journey toward purchase. So I'll challenge you not just to think about it, but also to go take a hard look at your own website and ask, how does the design of our site interfere with the learner journey? What changes might we consider? Wow, that's an assignment I'm sure we could stand to work through ourselves, Jeff, and and we will. But in the meantime, let's roll the interview with Tony Paley. Hello, and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Jeff Cobb, and today I'm joined by Tony Paley, who is the Chief Revenue Officer for AIM International, aka the Association for Intelligent Information Management. 
Tony is also a featured speaker at our upcoming Learning Technology Design, or LTD, virtual conference, where he'll be talking about how to get more visitors to click the buy button. And we'll definitely cover that topic and more in this episode. But first, Tony, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Well, it's always great to talk with you. Uh, I love your perspective on marketing, and I know we're going to dig into that uh, quite a bit here. But uh, before we get started, I just gave you know very very brief uh, intro of you. Said you're the the chief revenue officer for AIM. I want to talk about that title a little bit here in a minute. But but before we get to that, what what else would you highlight about yourself or your or your work for listeners? Yeah, so I work for AIM International, and we are a trade association. And we service the information management industry. And our audience is records managers in IT. And to them, we provide training and educational resources that really teach them how to do their job better. So my position at AIM is, is really to promote our brand and try to get as many people to take our training courses as possible. Great, great. So you are you are squarely in what we call the the learning business as somebody on the marketing end of that business, uh, helping to to actually sell the education and learning experiences that AIM is developing. And as I mentioned, and I said, I wanted to come back to it. Um, you you hold this title, Chief Revenue Officer, which I think is I think it's fairly new for for you. You can uh, uh, correct me on that if I'm wrong. Um, but I, I feel like that's. Uh, a title that I'm seeing more and more in the corporate world. I don't come across it quite as much in the association world, or at least not at this point. Can Can you talk a little bit about you know what that means and and why AIM decided that that was a a role the organization needed? Absolutely. So, Chief Revenue Officer uh, is a relatively new position, kind of generally speaking, and it is a role that oversees both marketing and sales. And it's becoming more and more common in tech, uh, you know, even in consulting agencies. And it's something that we chose to adopt, mostly because we found our structure to be very siloed. Mm. And that is, was kind of exacerbated by the fact that we have a totally remote work environment. So it was really easy for people to kind of form these natural clusters. And there's no place that you want a silo any less than between marketing and sales. And there definitely existed there, that, that kind of natural sales versus marketing friction where we weren't speaking the same language, we didn't have common processes, we didn't have shared goals. And that was really kind of inhibiting us to really sell and market our offerings at the you know, absolute most of our abilities. So we thought we would converge those two departments into one giant department and start to create processes that weave in between them. And I was selected to kind of oversee both departments and just make sure that we are really aligning sales and marketing in every way possible. And so I, I have to ask, and you, you may not want to answer this on, on air, and that's that's fine if you don't want to, but I know there's there just always seems to be that standing you know, b- battle might be too strong a word, but that tension between marketing and sales, uh, you know, struggling to understand each other and then sort of share. I mean, they have the same goals ultimately to, to obviously to get customers, um, but they have different ways of thinking about it. Do you, would you say you identify more with the marketing side or more with the sales side, or do you have to be Switzerland at this point? 
Uh, I'm supposed to be Switzerland, but you know, coming up from a marketing background, that's definitely my bread and butter. Um, you know, that's where my heart always has been. So it's a lot easier for me to kind of lean on my marketing background and expertise. But I'm trying to grow into this position and be a little bit more Switzerland, as you say. Got it, got it. And, and I'm, I'm always interested. Uh, I like to ask, you know, how people got into the, the learning business, uh, if, they're, you know, if they're coming from the education side, but also I'm always, always fascinated by what attracts people to, to marketing. I mean, how, how did you get involved in, in marketing originally? What do, you, what do you love about it? What, what I really love is, is historically marketing was very creative driven. Uh, you were creating advertising and it was, you know, uh, very artistic. And as things went digital and, you know, there, it became a lot more analytical, you're crunching numbers, you're doing A-B tests, you're coming up with hypotheses. It, it, it's a lot more scientific. So it's, it's really a, a great blend of the two, uh, especially if, if you're kind of on top of things where I'm, I'm very lucky to be, then I can kind of have my hand in both sides. So it's a great way to work both sides of your brain, the creative type side, excuse me, and the, the analytic side. So it, it's just, there's so much variety there. And that's what I really enjoy about it. I love, I love that answer. Yeah, you, you can, uh, these days, it's great that you can do both sides of the equation. I think I probably come more from the, the analytics side myself, because I'm not, not the world's most creative person, or at least in a, in a marketing creative sort of way. Um, but what you can do with data now is, is really quite amazing. And, um, and, and that might be, uh, a good sort of segue into one of the main topics I wanted to hit on today, and this relates to what you'll be talking about at, uh, at Learning Technology Design, this whole topic of getting more visitors to click buy. So, you know, visitors who show up on your website, uh, see your, your, your offerings, your, your training offerings, educational offerings, and then actually electing to, to buy, um, uh, put their money down and, and participate. And I know this. Uh, one of the reasons you wanted to, to talk about this at LTD is that you that you have had some uh, specific success in this area. You've probably had multiple successes, but I know you've had some. You have some specific things in mind this time around, and so I, I'd love to ask you. You know, without completely you know spoiling what you'll talk about at uh, at LTD, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the challenge that uh, AIM was facing when it came to you know getting people to to buy, and then you know wh- what did you do to to address that? The challenge we were really up against is, is that we found that it was taking a lot more effort to get the same results over time. Mm. If we were to compare a campaign that we ran a couple years ago, it, that we really ran more recently, uh, um, all of the exact same effort, same amount of social, similar email messages, similar paid advertising, uh, we would actually see that the results were significantly less. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think the market is constantly changing. The, there's new competitors entering the space all the time. And, you know, we have conversations in our own marketing department all the time that says, you know, who are our competitors? And it's really easy to look to your nearest competitor and say, oh, it's, you know, these guys, they're offering similar training as us. But when you actually take a step back, you're really fighting for the attention of your audience. And there could be a million different things that are kind of pulling them in different directions. Netflix and YouTube and social media, those are all your competition as well in a certain way. Um, 
but also, you know, people get used to marketing. It doesn't become, you know, what, what might have been effective a couple of years ago isn't as effective anymore. Um, you know, I look at retargeting ads, which are those ads that if you visit a web page, they kind of follow you, at, you know, as you visit other pages. Um, th- those used to be wildly popular and wildly successful a couple of years ago. And they're still really good, but not, not nearly as good as they used to be. People are used to it. They don't engage with it as much anymore. So you have to find new tactics. So that was the challenge that we were up against. And the, the way that we combated that challenge was we, we started to ask ourselves, you know, is our website really working as hard as it needs to be working? You know, do we have the right copy in place? Is the kind of user journey through our website as easy and clear as it needs to be? Have we set up the kind of proper funnel where we're catching a lot of people and moving them towards certain product pages and getting them to check out, um, you know, on those product pages, is it uh, clear and concise what, what the goal of that page is, what we actually want the user to do, or, you know, is it just a jumbled mess full of lots of information that actually isn't helping them make that purchasing decision? And, you know, when we were honest with ourselves, we said, there's probably some areas that, that we can improve here. So we kind of followed uh, a, a handful of steps and worked in this framework of asking ourselves these tough questions and making those changes on the website and removing as much friction as possible uh, while at the same time making the, the web copy uh, as clear and as compelling as possible to ultimately wa- you know, see those, uh, the conversion rates on those pages increase. And that means that any of the traffic that we have coming into the page um, you know, that is always going to fluctuate. But if we know that once they land on the page, a certain percentage of them are going to convert, that's a lot better place to be than we were before. Yeah, definitely. And so how did you, what, what were some of the key ways you went about understanding that you had a problem and, and evaluating the problem? I mean, and I'm thinking, you know, where you're looking at Say your your you know your Google Analytics uh, over time. Uh, were you doing user testing? What what types of things did you have to do to really figure out this? Is, here's what's going on. There's uh, a lot of different things that we did. Um, you know the big one, which you know if you read every marketing book, they tell you like you shouldn't lean on, in on your intuition. I'm kind of in the other side of the you know of that. I, I think that you can look at something and you know if it's right or wrong. So we went through our page and first started to make some hypotheses. Mm. You know, like, you know, does this make sense? Is this confusing? Does this belong on this page? And once you start to get a good understanding of uh, your website through the mind of your user, then we turn to Google Analytics for sure. That that was a big one for us. Um, But we also looked at heat maps and... um, uh, scroll tracking and those types of uh, analytics tools will give you information on where people are clicking, how far down the page they're scrolling. Um, you can, there are certain software that we use. Uh, we use Lucky Orange, but there's a few other vendors uh, out there in the space that uh, you can, it's anonymous user recording. So you can see, you can't see like who they are or anything like that. You can only see what they're doing on your specific page. But you can see people visiting your, you know, checkout page and kind of clicking around, and you can you can start to extrapolate information and ideas 
from watching those types of anonymous recordings, we see, uh, like I'm watching, you know, five people click on this button, but I want them to be on that button. So, so why? So then you can start to do some more advanced A/B testing to try to see if you can structure the page differently or change the copy in a certain way um, to get them to do your desired action. And that's the the kind of way that we went about it. And so, and just to make sure some of those terms are, are clear to listeners who may not be um, as immersed in the, in the marketing world as uh, you are. So you talked about heat maps. So this is basically you're looking at sort of a uh, an image of uh, or you're you know you're looking at your web page or a particular web page and you're seeing by colorations on the page basically where there's a lot of activity or where there's less activity kind of where people are clicking where they're where they're moving to um, am I describing a heat map uh, adequately for from, from your perspective exactly right yep you have it exactly right and then a b testing you set up you know two versions of a web page you can also do this with email send out you know an email with two different subject lines, that sort of thing. But in this case, I think two different web pages, and you see you, you change some text, you change some images, that sort of thing, and see which one does better. Does that uh, does that capture A/B testing adequately? You got it. Great. So so you went out through all of this um, and and kind of got a sense for uh, what was working, what wasn't, um, and then and then trying to get people to that point where. They, they will click the buy button, you know, where, where uh, they are willing to, to make that decision to purchase from you. I mean, what are, specifically in, in your situation, what, what helped change the game? And then maybe, you know, generically, what, what tends to maybe help people convert more than, than they would otherwise? I think the, the biggest thing for us was, I, I think a lot of people, and we were certainly among them, we have this need to mash as much information onto a page as mm. we possibly can. We wanted to answer 100% of their questions. We didn't want to leave any stone unturned. But, but as a result, that, that's, that's not going to help most of your users. Most of your users are going to ask the same you know, 80% of, of questions they get asked. So, so you're actually cluttering up your page. You're making it very difficult, very challenging for them to understand what is the action you want them to take. Um, and very similarly, we wanted all of our pages, every page on our website, we wanted to kind of mash into the navigation. And that's a mistake. What are the pages you actually need them to go to? What's that kind of funnel that you're trying to drive them down? So, you know, again, like that, that was an area where we saw a tremendous amount of clutter that needed to be kind of scaled back and rethought and, and simplified just to make it really easy for the, for the user to know, all right, these are the important pages. This is the path that they're trying to urge me down. There, if there's an, a way for them to kind of get out of the flow that you want them to go into, they're, they're going to find it. They move like water. But if, if you can start to eliminate those options and pare things down and only give them the information they need to know, that's when you're going to see the results that you're looking for. And, and that was a huge success for us. Well, and I, and I love that description too, because I, I will often, you know, say I've, I've you know, said it, written about it, um, that there's so many similarities between effective education and effective marketing. I mean, in, in either case, you're trying to change people's behavior and, and move them towards some sort of, of goal. And when you're, when you're creating good education, you're helping to kind of scaffold the process for the learner. You're trying everything you, 
you can to avoid cognitive overload, you know, and that's basically what you just described. You don't want to create cognitive overload for somebody you're trying to, to sell something to. You want them to kind of understand the most direct path to, to get to what your goal, but it's presumably their goal too, because they're there, they showed up there in the first place because they were looking for training um, of some sort, most likely, and uh, you want to help them achieve that goal. Um, so that it sounds like that you, you just took the time to really figure that out and make that happen on, on the AIM website. Yeah, all, all that's exactly correct. Now, I'm wondering, um, you know, it's great to have somebody like you on talking from a marketing perspective because you're doing it for an organization that does have to sell education, training, learning experiences. I mean, that is a, a, a main element of AIM's revenue. Is, is there anything different or particularly challenging from your standpoint about selling some form of education or training project as opposed a product as opposed to you know selling i don't know a, you know a, a consumer product or a television or, or some other type of, of service um what what if anything is challenging about uh, selling education i think the hardest thing is, is that uh the, the market has changed so much even over the last few years that People are so used to getting everything for free online. Mm. There's YouTube videos and there's blogs and there's ebooks. People are becoming less and less inclined to want to pay for things. And it's gone so far in that direction that, that even asking for an email address is getting harder and harder. I think people want and expect education to be free. And I think at the same time, education is getting easier to provide, that you're having a lot more competitors kind of spring up out of nowhere. In our space, we teach uh, best practices for records management and IT. And we're seeing the vendors in the space, people that offer the software to our audience, they offer all of their own training that is less about their specific software and more about the best practices that that you know we've been known to offer. So even the, the vendors in our space are competitors in, in a certain way. Uh, everybody can offer a webinar or a training session, and that makes it really hard to differentiate yourself in a very competitive market space. And I know, you know some of that's going to come down then to the design of the learning experience and, and making sure you're creating really compelling experiences that are actually going to achieve educational outcomes uh, for people or going to be interactive or going to be engaging. That's kind of one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is what you're doing and, and, and um, presenting that to the world, uh, making the world aware of it, uh, and, and hopefully to the extent that they see the value and, the, and they are then willing to, to take that chance on the learning experience. How much? How do you work with the the people there who are designing the educational experiences? I mean, what kind of conversations go on around, you know, I, I can imagine them saying that here's what we're designing and you're thinking about it. Well, then here, here's, the, here's what's going to make sense in terms of how we promote that. What's, what's the conversation like between your function and, and the people who are actually creating the, the products? Marketing has a very close relationship with the, the product side, uh, our training team in, in particular. It, we have to. We have to work hand in hand in order to deliver the absolute best experience. So we have a lot of conversations before we launch a new course about how we want it to look and feel. You know, we, we throw around a lot of marketing lingo at them. You know, who is our buyer persona mm. that we want to target? Uh, you know, where are they in their kind of customer journey? 
And we identify all these things up front to really, you know, focus in on who this is for and what they might be doing and what their interests are and what they're reading. So that way we can start to plan the marketing on, you know, at kind of after the fact of it being created. But we also spend uh, a lot of time talking about what's that experience, um, not just for you know a new course, but kind of our courses generally. Mm. Marketing is always sharing experiences uh, of our own, saying, oh, we just took this great training course. We were able to, you know, um, do, you know, they had these great features that we don't have, or they've managed to gamify their experience in such a way. You know, what, what could we learn from, from that? So we're always talking to the product side, talking to the training team about ideas and new ways to just totally change our user experience in how they interact with our training courses. And I mean, this is sort of circling back around to the whole idea of, um, of you being a chief revenue officer and having the, the marketing and the sales uh, functions together uh, now re- reporting to you. I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, it seems to me AIM does so much right, you know, from, from a marketing perspective, but, but I know, you know, marketing seems to be getting harder. You've talked about, you know, some of the reasons, people's attention, uh, that sort of thing. I mean, have you, have you seen an increase or, or felt a greater reliance on selling your educational uh, products? And I guess by that, I mean, you know, somebody's making a phone call, somebody's showing up in person. Um, it's not just an email showing up or a web page uh, showing up or, you know, has, has the focus on selling increased? Do you anticipate the, the focus on selling increasing over time in order to, you know, really make sure you are going to be able to get the customers? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, people are expecting and demanding a more personalized experience. And you can only do so much of that from a marketing standpoint. And that's really where the sales side can take over. They can have those one-on-one conversations. They can start to put together learning plans for individuals. Marketing, we're, we're, we're communicating one-to-many. And we say, you know, here's a great new course, or you know, here's all of our courses. Here are some you know, samples of, of, of things you can learn. But when sales gets on the, you know, it's a one-to-one communication and they can say, oh, you have this particular challenge? Well, most people that have that challenge first take course A. And once they're done with that, they might take course B. Or if they're feeling a little bit more comfortable, they might take course C. So they can start to have those conversations and offer a more personalized experience that marketing isn't able to. So we're definitely relying on sales to have those conversations more than we ever have. That's interesting because I do feel like I've, you know, encountered more organizations, uh, many of which have never had a sales function, that are now you know starting to put uh, a sales function uh, into place or or a business development function in, in, in some cases. But uh, to be able to do the one on one, to be able to go out and do the um, the organizational um, type sales, so you know get companies to buy, even if they're an individual uh, membership organization, or if typically sold B to C, they may be looking at more of a B to B model now. So we're definitely seeing that um, as a uh, as a, an emerging trend. And, and I guess, you know, talking, speaking of trends, one thing I did want to be sure to ask you about in this conversation um, is, you know, wh- whether it's marketing or whether it's sales or some combination of the two, uh, kind of pulling back from, uh, I mean, this, this may or may not apply to AIM. It may just be sort of your interest in, in general. But uh, what, are you, what are you seeing out there in terms of overall trends, um, you know, emerging areas that, that, that have you excited um, or, or 
on the flip side, perhaps even have you worried when it comes to, uh, to marketing and sales? The trend that really has me most excited is this kind of continued sales and marketing alignment. More companies are merging those two departments like AIM has. So as a result of that, there's a lot more education on, you know, how, what do those processes look like? How do you get those teams working together? And that trend is super exciting for me. I'm really looking forward to all the great educational content that I'm going to absorb uh, in the next year or two on how to do that better and how to do it right. Um, the trend that, that I'm most kind of nervous about is all of the marketing conferences over the last couple of years have been really talking about AI in marketing. And mm. there's a few case studies, a few examples of how that's being used um, one example is AI driven lead scoring models. And I think that's interesting, but there's kind of this, this broader, you know, how is AI going to affect marketing? You see AI, uh, you know, they're writing sports stories for newspapers. A, a lot of like those, you know, uh, you know, such and such player hit a home run and he had a, you know, 400 batting average or, you know, whatever. I'm not a big baseball guy. But they, you know, all those articles are being written by AI now. So I, I wonder, like, how much of that is going to influence marketing, and you know, what other kind of day-to-day tasks is are is going to be driven by AI in the future? And that makes me a little uneasy. Um, uneasy in the sense that it you start to lose control, and in marketing now you have everything lined up, and you're through marketing automation software, you have everything in one place. We have so much control right now and bringing in these kind of extra applications to be a little uneasy. Yeah, I think, um, uh, great, great points and a similar thing, you know, going on in learning and education as, as it is in just about every field, but, uh, you know, the whole notion that things can become much more automated, become much more personalized, um, but driven by AI and, and doing that and, you know, thinking about what, what does that mean going forward for, you know, the, the teacher student, uh, relationship, um, what, what, do, what do learning experiences start to look like, uh, going forward? And that's, I mean, that's a big question right now, uh, for, for anybody who's on the, the front lines of, of creating, uh, learning experiences. So AI, definitely, definitely a big one. We're all going to be wrestling with for, for years to come, I think. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, I've always appreciated about you and getting to, to know you over the last uh, uh, two or three years is you're clearly somebody who does value learning education yourself. You just talked about, you know, looking forward to the education you'll be able to be involved with around uh, things like the, the marketing and selling trends and, and AI. So that's a, that's a good uh, segue into the final question that we like to ask every guest who comes on to the leading learning podcast. And, and that's, what is one of the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? I love this question. The, the best learning experience I've had since college was probably I, I took a class at an organization called General Assembly. They are based in New York but they have campuses all over the country, maybe even all over the world now. And they specialize in technology and 
kind of business digital marketing classes specifically for individuals who are interested in changing career paths, which I think is a really interesting niche. Now, I, I was not interested in changing my career path. I'm a marketer through and through, but I really wanted to learn front-end web development, which is one of the courses that they offer. And it was a, a, in person, and I took the, the class at their Boston campus, and it was an 11-week course, and we met twice a week, and I want to say it was about three or four hour classes. So it was something like six or eight hours a week for 11 weeks. And they were able to take someone who doesn't know anything about web development at all. I'm lucky that I had a little bit of a foundational knowledge. But the course was really for someone who doesn't know anything at all, doesn't know a single thing about code, all the way up to building a website as your final project in 11 weeks. And they were able to do that, and they were able to do it successfully. And I think the course cost something like two thousand or or maybe three thousand bucks. And when I think about that experience versus someone who maybe went to a four-year college for computer science, that's four years where you learned a lot of extra stuff that isn't related to the thing that you're interested in, and maybe you graduate with a hundred thousand dollars in student debt versus this laser-focused eleven-week course that cost 2000 bucks and they prepared you, you know, ultimately to get an entry level job in that field was mind blowing. I thought it was such an amazing experience and I tell everybody about it. Well, I love that example. Um, obviously we're headed towards that. I mean, we're already, you know, there in many places towards those sorts of intensive learning experiences, boot camps, certificate programs, very, you know, laser focused, as you're saying, really becoming much more the norm, um, certainly becoming a, a part of life for, for so many people. And I you know, don't see any signs of, of that letting up. So thanks thanks for sharing your experience. That sounds like a, a course I need to take at some point too, so I can get a, get a little bit better in the, the web development department. But uh, in the meantime, Tony, it's been fantastic having you here. Um, looking forward to hearing more from you at Learning Technology Design. In the meantime, if folks want to find out more about you, uh, more about uh, your, your work with, um, with AIM, what are, what are the best places they can go to, to find you, to connect with you, to get more information? Certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Tony Paley, P-A-I-L-L-E, on LinkedIn. And I'm Tony underscore Paley on Twitter. And you can always connect with me there. Great. And we'll be sure to put those links into the show notes as well. So great. Well, Tony, thanks again. Fantastic to have you as a guest on Leading Learning. Thank you so much, Jeff. This was a lot of fun. That concludes the conversation with Tony Paley. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 226. And the show notes will include the reflection question, or you might want to think of it as a homework assignment for this episode. So find a few minutes to take a hard look at your own website and ask, how does the design of our site interfere with the learner journey? What changes might we consider? When you check out the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. That will put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review. Plus, ratings and reviews help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. 
finally consider following us and sharing the good word about leading learning. Maybe help us to generate a little bit of traffic and conversion. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leading learning on each of those channels. However you do it, please follow us and please help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.